The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the executive minister, senior assistant minister, and the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. As we've been in the midst of a of, of a powerful series where I've been interviewing experts in their subject matters, and today is no exception. Today I have as my guest the Bible scholar, Bible translator, theologian, mystic, metaphysician, and all-around great guy, the Reverend Dr. Will Coleman. How are you doing there, Dr. Coleman? I'm doing great, and thank you for the introduction. I'm so happy to be with you on today and look forward to this conversation. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Dr. Coleman, um, you know, as we were saying on the break, you know, when your ears are itching, it's probably me praising you, talking about your knowledge base and, you know, and, and what I've learned from your programs and, and, you know, being around you and things that I've uh, purchased, you know, on flash drives to listen to. Uh, just the level of depth that you go into when you're teaching, you know, the Bible or metaphysics, mysticism, consciousness, transformation, et cetera. So I wanted to ask you or, or interview you specifically about the book, The Kabbalion, uh, which yes, is based yeah. upon Hermetic philosophy. And mm-hmm. I also wanted to, you know, obviously, if we have time, drill down on some of the other ancient wisdom that is now coming up and being taught in a very practical manner in the 21st century. So, you know, so yeah. if you don't mind, I, you know, first of all, I wanted to get your opinion on the Kabbalion before I actually start uh, asking questions about what's in the book. Yeah, so the Kabbalion is a book that I encountered 35 years ago, back in 1986, when I uh, began to pursue right after graduating from seminary metaphysical studies in earnest, and in fact, I was first introduced to it through a Rosicrucian order that I belonged to at that time, and um, it was a very uh, concise but informative and perceptive text that uh, gave me some pointers for further and deeper studies in Kabbalah and in uh, Hebrew studies, etc., so... Uh, New Age was popular, of course, uh, during that particular era of the 19, well, decade of 1980s, et cetera. So 
it was, became a foundational text for my subsequent metaphysical studies. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So in the book, um, one of the, the version that I bought basically has a foreword, a new foreword. And one of the yeah. things that is mentioned is that the the person who wrote the foreword believes that it was secretly w- written by uh, William Walker Ak- Atkinson. And I want to yes, know- sir. That- yes, I'll just speak right to that. While you're saying that, that I have in front of me what's called the Kabbalion, the definitive edition, and it has an introduction and uh, editing by someone named Philip Dislipe, D-E-S-L-I-P-P-E. And he pretty much, uh, from my point of view, uh, makes the case that William Walker Atkinson was the sole author of the Kabbalion. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, most people don't realize it, but the name itself is a false Greek name. It doesn't have any particular meaning. Uh, but, of course, the book itself purports to be a book of describing seven principles attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes thrice great, three times great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, William Walker Atkinson is, is undoubtedly the writer of this text, as well as some other texts on the metaphysical studies. I read both the Kabbalion and the Science of Breath, also by him under another pseudonym of Yogi Ramasharaka back in the 1980s. But he wrote several others on Rosicrucianism, on mental uh, yoga, etc. You know, it's kind of funny yeah, I mean, now that you mentioned that. I bought that book in 1994, The Science of Breath, when I was in yeah. the teacher-counselor training program for the Johnny Coleman Institute to become a UFBL licensed teacher. And yeah. just you hearing hearing you say it out loud made me realize, oh, my God, it's the same guy, the same writing style. Same guy. Same guy. It is exactly the same guy. He also wrote uh, The Secret Doctrine of the Rosicrucians, the one we just referred to, Raja Yoga, and then a book on mystic Christianity, et cetera. So he wrote several books under those different uh, names. Uh, one other name was Magus. Uh, incognito. That's when he wrote uh, the uh, secret doctrines of Rosicrucians under. Wow. And wow. he was an attorney. And, and you know, he also uh, was connected with New Thought, past president of the New Thought Alliance, etc. Yes, yes. I knew him from the New Thought books under his real name. And, and even though yes. I knew that he had the, uh, the yogi name, I just didn't connect the dots that that was the same book that I studied. In 1994, yeah, yeah, it wasn't can, a part of my curriculum, but somebody mm-hmm. mentioned it to me, a teacher or something, and I was like, oh, let me buy this. And like, and I really enjoyed the book. Yeah, when I was introduced to um, the Kabbalion, I was introduced to that book. It was like a companion. It went hand in hand, pretty much, Science of Breath and the Kabbalion. Now, I didn't know at that time it was the same author. Uh, like yourself, I've learned since then. Wow. That wow. is uh, William Walker Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, Dr. Comey, do you think, you know, before we get into the questions, that a lot of people in those days, because of their professions, they didn't want people to know that they were writing, so they were write under false names just so they wouldn't be known or, or, or interrupt their business dealings? I know Charles Fillmore originally wrote under a false name. Yes, I think there's several reasons. I think it depending, depending upon the nature of the text, too. 
people wrote under false names to protect themselves from any type of prosecution, especially as they wrote some Rosicrucian text that dealt with, quote-unquote, sexual mysticism, or if they wrote about what was considered to be, quote-unquote, occultism, even though that word isn't a bad word, it's just a Latin word for hidden. Uh, if they were um, in Masonic, certain Masonic, philosophical, or Rosicrucian societies where they had also taken, you could say, vows of discretion, then they would uh, assume a, a, a pen name for their writings. So there's several reasons. This man himself being an attorney, you can also kind of understand that uh, he wanted at different points maybe not disclose his full name or full presence and also uh, the fact that uh, he might have had several contracts with different publishers and so he would assume a different name for each publisher. All right, beautiful, beautiful. So it was common. It was common to do that. And then one other thing, it was also right. common to to have a name like that uh, as a kind of authority of being a student of another person who might have had uh, especially a Hindi name at that time because there was a popular movement among theosophical uh, members of theosophical society to um, say that they were students of certain Hindi or North African uh, adepts. I think we talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And so it's similar to um, at the Shaolin Temple. I know two people who are disciples of Shaolin yes. monks. They've trained in Shaolin. And right. they told me that part of their discipleship was they were given a Chinese name. They're African-American. Yes. yes, for their initiations. That's true in African spiritual traditions, too, like Ifa. I don't know if that's the case with uh, William Walker Atkinson. I think the, that might have occurred if he was a member of a Rosicrucian order and he assumed a different name, which more likely would be Latin, which would more likely be that Magnus uh, Incognito. But that's speculation on my part. But it was definitely popular to do that for several reasons that we've already mentioned. Yes, yes. So I want to get into the um, the book. And it's broken down into seven main uh, principles, mentalism, yeah. correspondence, vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, and gender. Uh, so I, I, I want to get, you know, and I'll see how many questions we can get out and obviously allow people to call in and ask questions as well. But um, I want to start with, uh, before we get into those seven points, something that uh, the quote that I love is right when you open the book where he says the lips of wisdom are closed except to the ears of understanding. How do you interpret yeah. that? that uh, oh, that? man, that's, that's a standard, again, a Rosicrucian uh, initiatic Masonic axiom. Uh, to know, to will, to dare, to be silent will be another form of it. Uh, it is uh, like the teachings of Yeshua, you really can't hear or know certain things. Well, you can't know certain things unless you're open to really hearing with the inner ear, seeing with inner vision, et cetera. So that's um, it's a cautionary, uh, in a way, statement of saying that in order to really grasp what's in the content of this specific text, your ears and your mind have to be open to, a at that time, a new uh, and different paradigm for thinking, especially about as it pertained to the topic of mentalism, which is what, in a way of speaking, the entire text is about mentalism. Yes. So I like to go into the mentalism. 
in the yeah. chapter on mentalism, uh, it says the principle of mentalism, the all is mind, the universe is mental. Um, yeah. So when you're teaching, and I'm sh- teaching this material, and this is very new thought, metaphysical, mystical, all of us teach this same thing. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're teaching people, the all is mind, capital M-I-N-D, the universe is mental. Um, what is that saying to you uh, as a theologian, mystic, and scholar? Yeah, well, this is a, a philosophy slash theology to uh, encourage people to think beyond any type of particular or parochial idea of G-O-D, of a quote-unquote supreme being, in a small uh, uh, frame of reference to expand that. And so I, I like the poetry in it as well to say that the the all, that's really a substitute for, you could say, divinity in a way of speaking, but that the all is M-I-N-D. Not that it's a brain uh, solitarily, but it is consciousness. You can put it another way, that it, the all is consciousness. And then as a consequence of the all itself being consciousness, then the universe is mental. So it, uh, it is speaking about a creative power and creation but using the language that's much broader than speaking out uh, from a particular religious point of view. And you probably know that it is not a religion or theology, this text, but rather it is a philosophy that is attributed to, again, Hermes Trismegistus. And Hermes was the uh, really the Greek uh, god of communication, uh, psychopomp, the, the, the kind of messenger of the other uh, deities, if you will, but who... Uh, had access to all realms of consciousness above, on earth, and below. So the fact that it's attributed to him also signals that this is um, this notion of the all encompasses everything, and that mentalism encompasses everything, and that the mind is a part of of everything that has been created and or manifested. So, uh, Dr. Coleman, we have a caller I'm going to bring in. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me see here. Stan, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, right, Stan. Do you have a question for Dr. Coleman? Yeah, I do have a question. Uh, you guys are talking about uh, some things that I'm not actually familiar with, uh, so I'm just trying to track the conversation so that I can uh, learn some stuff, which I appreciate you guys for that. And one of the things I wanted to find out um, that Doc, Doc was talking, he used the term Rosicrucian uh, several times. And could you explain what that is, just so I'll make sure that uh, that I, um, I'm familiar with it as you can continue yeah. the conversation? Yes, sir. No problem. So and I'm gonna, and by, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go ahead and hang up right now and uh, just listen. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yes, sir, no problem. So, uh, of course, you can't look it up, but the idea of Rosicrucianism uh, goes back to the French and German, um, uh, you could say, societies, discrete or secret societies, and they, um, the Rosicrucians, there's a code of brothers and sisters of the Rosy Cross. And uh, in its origin, in mythology of its origin, there's the idea that there was... Um, European mystics who made a pilgrimage to Morocco, North Africa, and from there they received special knowledge about science, about mathematics, about uh, mysticism, and that they, um, from that inspiration that they received, they began to to spread esoteric teachings, 
quote unquote, secretly, so as not to gain to be persecuted, and, as you just heard in that quote, for those who would be willing to hear. Now, this was in the uh, 14, 15, 1700s. In the late um, 1800s and early 1900s, there was a sort of revival of these ideas and of these uh, societies in France and Germany and uh, England and then subsequently in the United States. So when we said earlier that these uh, connected with Rosicrucian ideas, we're referring to that later development which was popularized in Europe and here. In some uh, ways, it continued to function uh, through, quote-unquote, secret or discrete societies. In other ways, I believe, it uh, took forms in the more new thought popular writings like the one that we're discussing now. If you heard me earlier, for example, I said the same person who we know and believe wrote the the the, um, the Kabbalion, wrote another text entitled The Secret Doctrine of the Rosicrucians. So there's that connection as well. So I hope that helps. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he got a lot out of that out of that answer. I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, Dr. Coleman, just going back to the question on mentalism, yeah, and um, and and just some of the breakdowns that he's doing um, in the book, helping people to understand that just because you see physical reality does not mean that that's ultimate reality. And correct. Um, and when I reading it, and obviously with my new thought background the concept of mentalism, rather, it, which might be a different term for maybe Christians who are not used to that term, but they use mentalism just by saying, mm-hmm. if I pray, I can change things. The term prayer right. changes things is mentalism in yes. many ways. Yes, you know? it's, it's definitely belief in mentalism. Now, what's significant about, from my point of view, is that that first um, uh, principle is foundational for the subsequent ones. Once you grasp that the all is mine and that the universal is mental, then the other ones, as you know, flow from that. That is the principle of correspondence, of vibration, of polarity, of rhythm, of cause and effect, and of gender. So in a way of speaking, that first principle on mentalism is the thesis principle and the the others can be also seen as elaborations of that. You know, correspondence, as above, so below, as below, so above, vibration, nothing rests, everything moves, polarity, everything is dual, everything has its opposites, they're identical in nature, different in how they express themselves by degrees, rhythm, everything flows in, out, etc., uh, cause and effect, every cause has its effects, every effect has its causes, and then gender is in everything. Uh, everything has a masculine and feminine aspect to it. So these uh, subsequent six principles, in my way of thinking, flow from a, a comprehensive understanding of what he means by the universe is mental and that the mind or the all is mind. Yes, yes. Dr. Coleman, we have another caller. Let me sure. um, bring this person in. Yes. Okay, Donald, how are you doing there? Do you have a question for Dr. Coleman? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, good morning, first of all, Dr. Coleman, Reverend Dow. Um, good morning. 
Dr. Coleman, I would like your personal uh, study, your vision, your view on the blessed hope for this world. Are you following either the scriptures like in Daniel, we talk about the seven-year tribulation, um, then the Christ Christ coming back uh, a second time, or even when Paul's letters talk about uh, pre-tribulation or the calling up, or if you're following something else, could you give me your reference of what you think we're heading, what's going on with the world, where's it heading, what's your hope or vision uh, from your studies about the world? Okay, that's good. I, yeah, so first and foremost, I... Uh, I've always remained hopeful of the world, hopeful of progress, hopeful of moving forward rather than backwards. And then I would say with respect to, um, quote, unquote, what some people might call biblical prophecy, I see those uh, statements and ideas being more symbolically as inscribed and to be understood rather than literal. I see them as they're archetypal because they do speak to certain universal principles uh, about human nature, about its connection to the divine, to the divine and to progress, with, tr- with some with some trials and tribulation, but that they are not intended to be uh, uh, understood literally because they use symbols in those various descriptions when we refer to various types of uh, beings, animals, etc. So I take it to be an indicator, a of of the the depths of of uh, anxiety and and pressure that humanity can fall into. But B, we also have to remember, especially this is very important, that even though these texts have been called apocalyptic, apocalyptic simply means to unveil something that is greater than what one currently sees. And that's the vision that I hold is that um, in the midst of everything that's going on, we have to continue to, to trust, believe, and strive for the better good. And that that's a process. It's a process that has been going on for thousands of years and will continue to uh, uh, move uh, forward with uh, change and transformation. So that's my take, essentially, on um, what some people might call Bible prophecy. Prophecy really means to see things metaphysically rather than simply to look at the surface of what's happening, to understand the causes of certain things that appear in life, personal and and global, and also to participate in changing and rectifying what's unbalanced. We're always called to participate in the better good, I believe. And, and I hope that... No, that's great, uh, Doctor. And have you had a change over the last, I don't say 10 years, of anything since studying that has come about in you that that you've changed and started to move toward something else anything new no i'm always yeah i'm always in the process of growing and changing the more i acquire knowledge and insight then the more that uh informs a new direction or a modified direction that i want to take i think that again that the process of life is a process of of change and hopefully change and growth for the better i'll be 68 on this coming saturday so yeah i'm very oh, different yeah. from when i'm <laughs> But I, at my essence, I feel the same person. So I use that as, as an analogy. And I feel just as good, and I do feel wiser, of course, but it, everything compensates. There's some things I can't do. I used to do at 38. 
the other things in ways at a metaphysical level, psychic level, that I can do that I couldn't do then. Does that help? Oh, definitely. And let me just say this also. I'm jumping the gun, but happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. I accept it. No, I, I accept it. All right. Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> You thank, too. You Donald for the, thank you, Donald, for the call. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Dr. Coleman, we have a, uh, before the, we're about three minutes from the break. Um, I want to make sure if people wanted to get in contact with you or, you know, sign up for your program, you know, the class that you have, how would they get in yeah. contact with you? Okay, so thank you. Every Monday night I offer a class. I have been doing this for 10 years and under the theme of uh, Bible and Meditation. And the best way to reach out to me would simply be to send me an email to W. Coleman, Ph.D. 33, at gmail.com. That's W. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, Ph.D. 33, at gmail.com. And what I do is I send out the invitation and instructions Every Sunday evening for the Monday class, we uh, begin informally at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and then we have a specific topic that we focus on from 8.30 to 9.30. And everybody, everybody's welcome at any time. You don't have to have been involved in my classes prior because I always do a summation of what we've studied the week before and then proceed with the topic of the night. And we have touched on, we did a whole series on the Kabbalion on the Science of Mind textbook, on the 12 powers, on the Kabbalah, et cetera, any metaphysical topic at one time or another in these past 10 years, we've touched on it, and sometimes with great depth. Okay, so I just want to make sure it's W. Thank Coleman, you. Ph.D., 332 number threes? That's correct, 33rd. Okay, okay, Will Coleman, Ph.D., 33 at com. So if you want That's to correct. study with... Dr. Coleman, understanding the Bible and the, you know, the, I, I really want to say secret knowledge of the Bible, not because it's it's so full of stuff that we don't realize is there. Um, this yeah. will give you a great opportunity to learn and also learn how to work with some of the original languages. Um, Dr. Coleman, we're about 30 seconds away from our, uh, 45 seconds away from our break. I'm going to do this quick CUT commercial, just reminding everyone that this Sunday, we actually have our Christmas concert and candle lighting ceremony. You can show up live in the building, 1030 AM, or you can watch on our live stream, which is on Facebook at Christ Universal Temple, on YouTube at CU Temple or our website at www.cutemple.org. I want to remind you also about our uh, Facebook daily inspiration lessons, which are Monday through Friday at noon, or, and you can watch them live on Facebook, or you can watch them later. Definitely want to check it out. Uh, we're going to take our break, and we'll be right back with True Transforms. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Today I have as a guest, Dr. Will Coleman, and we're discussing The Kabbalion, which is a book that is based upon seven principles that teach mentalism, that teach that all is mine. Uh, Dr. Coleman, you did a basic overview of the seven principles, uh, but I did yes. want to ask you, when uh, you're studying and working with the Kabbalion, which one really stood out to you initially? Like, like when you read that one thing, it was the aha there's, moment. There's two of them. Okay. There were two of them, actually. So the first one is the one that we talked about at the top of the hour, which is the very first principle that is of mentalism, that the all is mine, that the universe is mental. And I immediately gravitated towards that um, opening concept because, for me, it so clearly illustrated that consciousness is in, <laughs> excuse me, is in everything. Everything has consciousness. Nothing is inanimate. And then the second one is cause and effect. Um, he, he says in that particular chapter, every cause has its effect. Every effect has its causes. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. And of course, I understand the law to mean Principles like gravity, electricity, etc. But that's the idea that you you reap what you sow, and if you want to want to sow certain things, there are certain things you need to reap. Has been so beneficial in my own thinking, especially in a non-dualistic way of thinking. It's not about uh, quote unquote heaven or hell. It's about do you understand how things work, and when you understand how things work, then you can be uh, in a place to take an initiative in planting the type of um, thing that you want to flourish and uh, to grow. Now, there's another one that's related to this cause and effect. He, he talked about using law to compensate for various laws. And my favorite illustration for that, which is like cause and effect too, is can a piece of metal fly? And the answer to that is no, it will not fly by itself. However, if you go through a series of processes that involve the use of understanding of laws and the use of the mind, you can transform metal into an airplane and it will fly. So for me, this has been just an extraordinary, those two components. A, everything has consciousness. Everything has mind content in it, through it, around it, etc. And B, that cause and effect is the principle by which things are actually governed. And the better we understand, the better you can optimize that which you seek and intend to do. Yes, yes. I want to give anybody else wants to call in. I realize we had callers, but I didn't give the number out. Uh, but it's all obviously on the website. Uh, if you want to call in and ask Dr. Coleman a question, you can call in at 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. Now, when I um, read the chapter on rhythm, Dr. Coleman, and um, mm -hmm. I started thinking about um, to everything has a season when I was reading the chapter on rhythm where it says everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise yeah. and fall. The pendulum swing 
manifest in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Left Rhythm compensates. And I start thinking about to everything in life, there's a season. Um, how do you work and teach the this concept of rhythm? Well, first and foremost, I uh, teach students to pay attention to, well, a pattern in Genesis chapter 1 that will really delineate that creativity begins at nighttime and there's evening and there's morning, the first day, et cetera. And so I have a meditation for my students where uh, you begin to make the preparations for your day, for your ideas, for your your aspirations before you go to bed at night and you begin your day then. And as you are sleeping, you pay attention to uh, what things come to you as you awake, you get yourself centered and you've already done really a way of speaking half of your mental work while you've been asleep. Your body has been resting, but you have uh, conditioned your mind to be active and to be engaged in problem solving and solutions. And uh, again, giving you insight and inspirations. Then uh, related to that initial practice is to study and learn your own microcosmic rhythms, your own specific and particular patterns, and the better you, quote-unquote, know yourself, this also gives you a solid foundation and grounding for studying the, quote-unquote, macrocosmic rhythms and patterns that you meet every day in the uh, daily activities and in the, quote-unquote, the larger universe. It's like, again, uh, in this chapter on mind, there are places where you, you, you'll see mind lowercase. That's the particular mind that we have. Then you see mind capitalized. That's the universal mind. They're both interconnected and related to each other. You want to cultivate the power and rhythm of your particular mind so that it will correspond with that of the uh, universal mind. So you also become, as he puts it in other places, an agent. You want to become an agent. You want to become a cause of the things that occur in your life and not simply be affected by them. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, I do want to ask some questions specifically about the book of Genesis. I know this show is about the Kabbalion. Um, yeah, I've been no as I mentioned off air. I've been noticing a lot of material that's been coming out of lately within the last five six years about the secrets of the Book of Genesis. The you know almost uh, you know I know the the main book that many New Thought metaphysicians study is Mysteries of Genesis by Charles Fillmore, and rightfully so, yeah. it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, but it's been more material coming out now speaking about principles and universal laws in the book of Genesis. Do you think this is just, again, a rhythm and the fullness of the time, or do you think this is just because more people are paying attention to the nuances that are found specifically in the book of Genesis and in the creation stories? I think it's both, I think. And you and I know, because we've talked about this before, first and foremost, the book of Genesis and its Hebrew is a book that gives you infinite possibilities and infinite interpretations from the various letters of the Hebrew, uh, the alphabet. The very opening word in uh, Hebrew for Genesis is Barashit, Barashit, which really can be interpreted as not just in beginning or in the beginning, but as in consciousness, Barashit, in the head, in the mind, 
all things are created, shaped, and formed. Bereshit bara Elohim Hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. In other words, the powers of creativity uh, originate or uh, bring forth things from consciousness, the things that we see as well as the things that we don't see. And just on that opening phrase, you have unlimited ways in which that could be interpreted. And then, as I've already stated, as you learn more about the mysteries of the Hebrew alphabets uh, and their infinite uh, uh, possibilities, uh, and then on the other side of it is our minds are really uh, unlimited, and we encounter a text or a reality that helps us to exercise the unlimitedness of our minds, then, yes, you have um, a renaissance, a rebirth, and an explosion of new ideas and possibilities. Uh, and that's not surprising. And I think these things also occur at the beginning of, quote-unquote, centuries and decades. And we're entering another decade. We're into another decade. Well, we're at a time where people are gradually coming out of um, the shut-ins, quote-unquote, of COVID-19. So I think these things are to be expected, actually. Okay. The first we just spoke about, a lot of them flourished in Chicago in the early 1920s. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, when I was doing some research on William Walker Atkinson, I ended up finding out he lived in Chicago. Yes, he did in Chicago. Chicago, I would say New York, Chicago, uh, Florida, and California were the keys places in the United States where uh, new thought uh, methods and practices and philosophy um, and then their own way grew and flourished. Yes, yes. Yeah, you, you know, it's, definitely it's definitely almost Chicago. yeah, it's almost like could have could a Johnny Coleman, Reverend Coleman, grow a, a, a church of this magnitude grow the largest church in new thought um far as membership and building at the time in a city that might not have been open and receptive to a message like new thought it, it makes me wonder yeah it's in the soul it's in the soul s o i l mm-hmm. yeah yeah and in like, the ethers you know, put it another way in the ethers mm-hmm. frequency yes, vibration which are correspondence and vibration and rhythm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that definitely makes sense. So when when um, people are studying um, the Bible in particular, and then they read books like the Kabbalion and other ancient texts, um, sometimes they're surprised to find out that a lot of what they're studying, the overwhelming majority of it, comes from uh, uh, the fund- fundamentals of North African spirituality. Because uh, people don't, yeah. when they think of Egypt, they don't necessarily realize sometimes that Egypt is North Africa, North absolutely, <laughs> Northeast North Africa. Africa. Yeah, <laughs> you and I have talked about this before too. Because most people are not aware. Let's just take one example. They're not aware of original languages. Uh, if they were, they'd be become more aware of that. I mean, Hebrew is a Northeast African language. It's called Afroasiatic or Afro. Semitic, but it's a Northeast African language. The biblical Greek language, a particular form of it that's used in translating the text from the Hebrew into Greek is Koine, Greek from Alexandria, Egypt. And then even the Latin 
that became the Latin of the church later on is from North Africa. So those are axial hub in uh, Northeast Africa that going back to even the comedics that um, even has given us the language that we now speak, uh, that is, i.e. English, 70%, uh, Greek and Latin, and the alphabet even goes back to the uh, Hebrew alphabet. So I always do a thing with my students on, you have to look at the map, land, you have to look at some of the um, carvings from the time period of um, African peoples, uh, both as Egyptians and as Hebrews, and then the languages. And since most of us have not had privy to studying original languages, we have not had that type of access until now, which is why you know, uh, of course, that I uh, emphasize in my Monday night classes more knowledge and give examples and demonstrations of how to read text in the Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So, yeah, that's that's a whole nother hour's topic right there, but... <laughs> It's on point. So, I mean, even even this text of being attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, uh, then behind Hermes Trismegistus, this mythic figure, is the uh, Egyptian um, Netter of Thoth or Tahuti. And many of the Rosicrucians that we just mentioned earlier, uh, the top of the hour, well, sought inspiration from what they considered to be Egyptian mystery traditions. What they did not always do, and that we now know to do, is to connect that with African, Northeast African. Yes, yes. So, uh, Dr. Coleman, I have a question that um, I related to my martial art background, and I transitioned Mm -hmm. it to to, uh, religion and philosophy. And... um, being a student, being a student of primarily Chinese martial arts, one of the things that yeah. happens in Chinese martial arts is, uh, and and in Okinawa, it happens somewhat in Japan. The masters want, can have you study with them for years, and never really teach you the real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I, I I have a colleague, for instance, who um, studied, and I'm using this as an example. Studying in right. Okinawa, he was a Marine uh, during Vietnam, and he uh, studied for years. And there, you didn't pay the people money; you helped them clean their house. You, you know, you trimmed their bushes mm-hmm. and all whatever. You were really like a, a son. And he mm-hmm. said that he was there for years, and and earned the black belt. And then mm-hmm. one of the elder students came to him and said, uh, "Sensei wants to speak to you." And when he mm-hmm. came in, he said. You've been a dedicated student. Now I will teach you real karate. And he was mm-hmm. like, what have I been doing all this time? And he mm-hmm. discovered that the movements that he was doing were actual movements that was letting him know the energy points of the body to mm-hmm. strike. And if you hit yeah. this and this together in sequence, this happens. If you hit this and right. that together, that happens. Strictly pressure mm-hmm. point energy movements in the Bible in the body, he had no idea. So I started to think about these stories from these Okinawan Japanese and Chinese masters, where they would have you around doing the material, studying the right. curriculum, and you didn't really know what you were doing. So when Jesus and some of the uh, and these teachers and philosophers of spiritual wisdom would have people around, was it really common 
for them to withhold information that was in plain sight. So I think there are two two aspects to that. I think one aspect is um, there's a there are stages of un, of unfoldment or infoldment. You can think of it either way, where you're learning the form, the form, the form of repetition, the form of familiarity of uh, techniques and of specific teachings, and then there the form, uh, if it is well cultivated will guide you into the essence. What I heard in the example you just gave is that the teacher finally said, uh, on a way of speaking, this person was, was ready to understand the essence of the movements. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're not the same thing. The outer form uh, is cultivated over time and is and enhanced and quote-unquote perfected. Then it has to be infused with something that you mentioned earlier yourself. That's the chi or key of it. The, um, the the spirit of it said that way. It's not that it isn't there, but it has to be cultivated inside the quote unquote new house that you're constructing. Because as you're rebuilding yourself, it could be your body and and your mind. Same thing works with um, uh, with students who you know who I've worked with for years. There there's an innate aspect that we all have. There are um, forms that we need to cultivate and become familiar with. And then there's the inner essence um, that no one ultimately can teach you. You must bring it forth from within. Yes, yes. I, I was uh, talking to a, um, a Kung Fu practitioner, and he was meditating um, on, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, it's a Buddhist meditation that Shaolin monks used to teach. It's called bone marrow washing. Qigong, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, as he was doing it, um, you know, he was, you know, he was basically talking about how his bones lit up, like, like he felt yeah. like, the, you know, he had practiced it, practiced it, practiced it, and then it awakened itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what well, you're that's basically why saying. Yeah, and that's why I look about the uh, the first principle here in the Kabbalion. It's a, a that is analogous to waking up the mind of the bones. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Waking up the mind of the bone. Yeah, waking up the mind of the bones, the mind of the blood. It's not that they aren't there functioning, but the, the cultivation of certain techniques enhance how they function. It's like again learning a a new language. You first begin with the alphabet, and you kind of stumble and babble for quite a while until you begin to understand the rhythm of that particular language and you increase your vocabulary and you increase your understanding of how the, it functions. And then one day, you're just swimming in it. But yes, it's not yes. just you're swimming in it. You have cultivated the skills to think in that language. Yes, yes. That's you talk about... So many things. Yeah. You talk about that in your... Um, a few years back maybe three or four years ago, I bought your 12 power series. Yes, sir. And, and you talk about that cultivation of, I'm just going to use the word, the transmutation of the body. Yes. You know, you know I talk about a little bit more on that. If you know, if, for those who don't know, Dr. Coleman actually has stuff you can buy programs, but go ahead, please. On the transmutation yes, of the body. Again, that's right. You know, the 12 powers, uh, Charles Fillmore has a diagram 
that shows a profile of the body and it shows these these powers as centers located inside the body and, and different organs and tissues in the body. And then above the profile of the body is uh, an image called the uh, you know Christ consciousness. You can say the ego Christus, the Christ, the I am. And his thesis in the twelve powers is that um, these all organs, tissues, and centers are to be, in a way, harmonized and enhanced. And they're not just principles. They are, for him, locations in the body. So as you cultivate and develop and enhance these principles in the pineal gland, et cetera, in the body, then you are putting them also in alignment with the, um, quote-unquote, the anointed or Christ consciousness, which, again, is similar to everything we've been saying. You, through the, the work uh, uh, within the body, at the physical level, but the physical level is also tied to the metaphysical. And I want people to also get that. Metaphysical is not out in space somewhere. It's located in the body. And he says that our physical bodies are our root body for our spiritual bodies. So it's, it's an integrative approach that I really like and appreciate about his uh, philosophy and theology. We're saying some of the same things in a different way. So the, the quote-unquote, the mind of these organs and tissues, quote-unquote, and their functioning and their optimization is the goal. Very beautiful. Do you have any, uh, you know, I have several of your programs that you sell on the um, on the drives. Do you have a, a program on the Kabbalion that you sell? Absolutely. I, have, I did a whole series. I think it was 2012. I did an entire series. We went through the entire uh, Kabbalion. Uh, so, okay. you know, again, you just email me at the uh, email address I gave earlier. I can give you access to it or anyone else who's interested. Well, it was a yeah. fun time, too. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that, that would that would help so many people if they want to get into the material and they're not familiar with it. And just having a That's background right. and a teacher lead you through the process. Because I'm a big believer in having a teacher. You know, and again, maybe well, it's because I'm... of my martial art background. But I know that there's certain things you don't catch at lower levels of, of skill yeah. that the are the master sees immediately. Yes, sir. Best teacher is a good student. Always. It's a specifical process. I'm always a student of everything that I have learned and seek to learn in this journey. Beautiful, beautiful. So we have about three minutes, uh, Dr. Coleman, um, before we have to go and they have to move on to the next show. So if it was mm-hmm. one basic idea that you haven't shared so far about the Kabbalion that you would want the listeners to know about, what would you tell them in two minutes? Yeah, again, I think that uh, that opening uh, a principle is the, is the ground and foundation for it all. That is the, to grasp, appreciate, and apply the understanding that uh, – um, again, that the that the all how we describe that as a sentient being or not, but that the all is mind, and not a brain, not just a brain, but that the all is consciousness, and that everything within it is also conscious. That's why he says that the all is mind, and then the universe, that is the world that we see, and even the things we don't see, are also mental. Once you grasp that throughout your own being, then the other principles, uh, again, flow from that of correspondence above, below, 
a vibration. Everything has a vibration, nothing rests. A polarity, this is duality, not just duality, but uh, different uh, parts of a spectrum that uh, everything has a rhythm, a time and seasons. We discussed it. Everything, um, cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. And then gender, everything contains a masculine and feminine aspect to it. Um, these other principles flow from my way of thinking, the first one, that they all is mental, what's called the thing itself in um, science of mind, the thing itself, what people may call uh, a particular deity. But this, again, broadens it so that it's not um, a specific dogma you have to ascribe to. These are, as um, William Walker Atkinson is, is putting it forth, these are universal principles that are directed through universal laws. That's it. Beautiful. That's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, we have about a minute left. So I just want to thank you again uh, for coming on. And I'll say happy birthday for your upcoming birthday on thank Saturday. You. And um, uh, I, I, I know you're going to have a great time. I, I, I believe I met one or two of your daughters. One used to live in Chicago. They did. They came, they came with me to Chicago. That's right, Judge. Both of them came with me. Two of my yes. daughters. And I have a third one who wasn't, but I yeah, but two of my daughters and about uh, three of my grandchildren. I have uh, five. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is a wonderful and beautiful thing. So listeners, uh, Dr. Coleman gave you his email address. If you want to purchase programs from him or you want to be a part of his Monday evening class, do yourself the favor and, and connect with him. It will be a soul-expanding experience, and you will be around people of like mind, and that matters. Yeah, like we have about 90. Yeah, we have yes. about seven, 70 to 90 people every Monday night now. Yes. In the, yes. Uh, in the class. So so give your, do yourself the favor of giving yourself that blessing. Um, I, I have to leave now. So next week, um, we're going to be talking about meditation with the Reverend Shirley Lawson, a UFBO minister. God bless you all. Take care. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.